1: welcome to Sportbox. Here are your headlines today. The Nikkei rallies to a 10-week high after the Bank of Japan pledges to slash rates and increase asset purchases if required, while the PBOC also vows to continue to support the Chinese economy.
0: Meanwhile, the Hong Kong leader Carrie Lam says the new law proposed by Beijing will not impose on Hong Kong's current rights and freedoms. This as riot police use tear gas to break up weekend protests over the new security law proposal.
2: Some of the things that uh, you have said about mainland agencies coming down to arrest people, undergoing protest, and uh, they will be arrested, the calling the chief executive to step down at the moment are your imaginations, or things that have been said by uh, some people. Uh, we are very free societies.
1: The World Health Organization halts trials of hydroxychloroquine over safety concerns as a study suggests it increases the risk of death and heart problems. Lufthansa's shares soar into the close after the airline agrees a €9 billion Euro bailout deal that will see the German government take a 20% stake in the flag carrier. Early signals on U.S. futures have been a little bit stronger after Memorial Day yesterday where the market was closed for trade and you can see some of that green building onto the boards early on, although challenging the 3,000 handle. For the S&P 500, what a lot of investors have been looking at. Can this market continue to make fresh gains? Uh, what we saw as the markets wrapped up shop Friday session. Uh, another bounce across the boards and uh, you can see for the S&P in particular, 2,955 uh, just shived that 3,000 handle after a modest increase. Also on the Nasdaq uh, technology stocks still picking up a, a lot of the action. FANG's well and truly part of the mix for investors seeking growth and trying to protect their earnings parked in equities. FANG's uh, a big element of this market, although you you see the Dow just a little bit lighter as it closed up that trading session. And in terms of what we've got elsewhere, let's push on and take a look at some of the other market action this morning. What we've got on uh, the close for European markets yesterday, 1.4% for the SMI. Uh, bounce uh, fairly decent bounce taking place. We haven't got the uh, numbers to show you for the DAX and the French market. Uh, but uh, we've also got the Italian stock market 1.6% higher. The green telling you that investors at this point picking up on the reopening of economies that we're seeing, the likes of Spain uh, to the UK, Germany. So investors are hoping that we are going to see a limiting of some of that damage that we've witnessed across economies because you have a restart taking place. But Asian markets in particular I think are picking up on other trade tensions that we've been witnessing, concerns around what's been playing out in the region, uh, with Hong Kong in particular. But uh, many of these markets also trading stronger as two of the region's major central banks reiterated there is more stimulus in the pipeline. The Bank of Japan Governor Harihika Kuroda told the Japanese Parliament that. Ready to do more for the economy, that is after Prime Minister Shinzo Abe lifted the nationwide state of emergency ahead of schedule. While China's central bank governor has reiterated a pledge to strengthen policy and keep rates low, Yi Gang stressed that the PBOC would remain flexible and said economic fundamentals were unchanged despite the outbreak. The economic recovery is front and center as china's national people's congress continues this week let's get out to sam vadas for more sam as we wrapped up last week we're talking about hong kong is that still going to be the focus this week for china
3: yeah i mean absolutely i think it's certainly stolen the attention away from the npc which Uh, really was uh, looking to focus on that uh, fiscal stimulus um, and that economic recovery. But I really think it has stolen the limelight, certainly in in terms of... The international response to it. But uh, as you mentioned uh, today, uh, the PBOC uh, and that announcement, I think this really reinforces uh, expectations of further stimulus um, by Beijing, which it may roll out over the uh, second half of the year to try to keep the economy on safe footing. The PBOC says it has a number of uh, monetary policy tools uh, to use at its disposal. We've seen a number of triple R cuts this year, uh, and the PBOC has cut the loan prime rate twice already this year to try to inject some uh, liquidity into the market. But of course, um, China is hesitant to really flood the economy given the debt that has piled up uh, in the past as a result uh, of aggressive stimulus previously. But of course, this all comes now as President Xi Jinping uh, unveiled a a new development plan for China's economy over the weekend. He says uh, China's economy uh, is at a pivotal stage in transforming uh, the growth model according to Chinese state media, Um, and he was also quoted as saying um, that China would have actually uh, potentially been able to set a GDP growth target at around 6% if it had not have been for the coronavirus outbreak. But of course, we know that a number of domestic factors were already contributing um, largely to China's economic slowdown, despite uh, the coronavirus outbreak. And it was thought at at one stage that trade uh, may have been an area that uh, Beijing would have liked to have relied on to try to sort of circumvent um, some of these uh, domestic issues. Um, But, you know, it does seem, as far as what we're hearing, um, as far as what President Xi Jinping has been saying about the economy that China really is looking um, to be far more self-reliant in the future and um, perhaps leaning more towards developing um, its domestic market away from uh, 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 export-led growth. And of course, you know, this comes um, as China is facing um, increasing isolation um, from the rest of the world, um, this rising tension uh, with the US. And now there is even talk um, from, uh, you know, Chinese uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi about uh, these economies being pushed towards a new Cold War. So certainly. Uh, a very tense tone heading uh, into this uh, annual meeting of Parliament. Back to you. Sam,
1: thank you very much. I appreciate you breaking down for us. Well, Singapore has slashed its 2020 economic forecast for the third time this year as the coronavirus cases keep climbing. GDP is now set to decline between 4 and 7% this year, according to the Ministry of Trade and Industry. Previous estimates were between 1% and 4%. The ministry decided to downgrade the outlook despite Tuesday's data, showing the economy shrinking only 0.7 per cent year-on-year in the first quarter. The plunge was less severe than analysts had feared and came well above the initial data, indicating a 2.2 per cent plunge. Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam has tried to calm concerns that China's proposed national security legislation for the region will hamper people's rights and freedoms. Her comments come after a weekend of street protests, with police firing tear gas and arresting almost 200 people. Lam called on citizens to wait for more details before assessing the new laws.
2: The assurances are very clearly laid out in the draft decision as well as the explanation given by the National People's Congress um, uh, leader. There is no need for us to worry, because time and again, in the last 23 years, whenever people worried about Hong Kong's freedoms of uh, speech and freedoms of expressions and protests, time and again, Hong Kong has proven that we uphold and preserve those values. So I think the best thing is to... Uh, see the legislation in front of us and to understand why at this point in time, Hong Kong needs this piece of legislation for the bigger uh, benefit of the great majority of Hong Kong people.
1: Let's get out to Emily for more from Hong Kong. Emily, legislators have been on message about the, the need for this security law, but the protests are also back in action. What's going to win out this time?
4: Well, we've got to two pieces of legislation that are front and center uh, in Hong Kong. And first, it is this national security law that the National People's Congress is trying to push through, Karen. And that had protesters back on the streets on the weekend. And of course, that comes ahead of a piece of legislation that will have the second reading in LegCo tomorrow. And I'm talking about the National Anthem Bill. Uh, so there has already been uh, some expectation, anticipation of more protests tomorrow outside of the Legislative Council ahead of this. So we know that the, the Police intend to deploy 3,000 officers and water cannon at the Legislative Council as well as the Liaison Office to prevent crowds from gathering and because they do anticipate a large turnout. Tomorrow, it'll be the second reading of the National Anthem bill that is the March of Volunteers. Any misuse or insult to it will result in a fine of $6,500 or up to three years in prison. Uh, we got a chance to speak to uh, the delegate, or I should say the deputy, excuse me, of the national. People's Congress Bernard Chan uh, currently in Beijing for the uh, annual plenary session about uh, the new law that is uh, going to be put to the NPC for a vote on Thursday. Now he pointed out that this is just a draft decision, and that, that will allow for the NPCSC, the Standing Committee, to work out the legislation. Uh, they're going to be working together with the Hong Kong administration in order to come up with the law. The NPCSC will. Uh, meet every two months so it could be June or it could even be in August so the timing is not very very clear in terms of this national security legislation of when it's going to be actually put into law uh, but this is more clarity that Bernard Chen was able to give us and I asked him whether or not this sets a precedent for other laws to be imposed to Hong Kong in the same way this is what he had to say
5: some in Hong Kong will argue that you know there's never that urgency for a piece of like uh, national security this is before last year, you know. For those here, even including myself, I could argue that well, you know, we can wait. But I think after last year, and many people in Hong Kong, the business sector as well, are concerned because we are seeing things like uh, you know, you know, act of terrorism in Hong Kong, and 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 and, and what matters to China today now is issues such as um, secession. You know, we 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 are seeing people holding flags of asking for Hong Kong independence, uh, and we are seeing you know signs where people will actually want to subvert the state power or against the central people government. And clearly we also see there is a meddling of foreign countries, foreign influences.
4: So what we do know is this national security law will cover Secession, subversion, terrorism, and conspiring with foreign influence in connection with Hong Kong affairs. Uh, Hong Kong, for its part, still needs to legislate on Article 23. Uh, that is our own national security bill. Uh, so that work still needs to be done in addition to the law that uh, the National People, People's Congress will be uh, imposing in Hong Kong. Uh, so that is uh, continuing to develop, and we're going to be watching and waiting out uh, when that will actually arrive in Hong Kong. According to Bernard Chan, it could be June. It could be August. The pictures you're looking at come from Sunday. Uh, this is the first large-scale protest since the coronavirus outbreak in response uh, to the national security law that the NPC is trying to push through. Uh, we saw police uh, firing tear gas. So there were some uh, rubber bullets as well uh, in response uh, to try and keep things under control. Uh, about 200 people arrested largely because this was an unauthorized protest uh, for going out into Causeway Bay and into Wan Chai on the weekend. Karen, it's back to you.
1: Thank you very much for that, Emily. Well, let's get out to Jeff uh, back on the screens after a few days out. Uh, Jeff, nice to see you You were one of the first to flag up the potential concerns around Hong Kong last week. I think investors are looking just uh, how far this one goes with the U.S. promising that there could be sanctions against Beijing if they push forward with this law. Many are saying, well, in this case, China holds the Trump card because if it doesn't push ahead with the phase one of the trade deal, then uh, come up to the the U.S. election, then President Trump has an issue in uh, the Rust Belt and in the agricultural. sectors in the United States, what do you make of where we stand at this point with the Hong Kong uh, scenario playing out?
0: Well, well, let me offer up a couple of points, Karen. A very good morning to you. Good to see you after the the long weekend. Let's just start with uh, how focused international investors are on political uncertainty in Hong Kong. And it's interesting, if you take a one-year and a five-year Hang Seng chart, and we use perhaps the Hang Seng as a proxy for concern around political uncertainty, the reality is the recent peak over that period, 33,000, was back in 2018. So what that actually tells you is... It hasn't really been political uncertainty that's driven the index lower in recent weeks and months. It's been perhaps COVID-19, coronavirus, the same thing that's driven that other major liquid index in the region, Japan, lower. And if you look at both the Nikkei 225 and the Hang Seng, the last time we were at the levels we are now was back in 2017. So... Given the political uncertainty Hong Kong has experienced around security issues and protests, you might argue that actually investors have kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, we don't see that as a major reason for a sell-off. The issue then on the other side of the coin is the structural sentiment one. And that is to do with how Hong Kong people are reacting now to the prospect of increased scrutiny and security and sedition laws and so on and so forth. And it reminds me of uh, the time when I was back in Hong Kong, not so long after the 1984 joint declaration, where ultimately you saw hundreds of thousands of people in the middle classes leave Hong Kong seeking the safety of passports and other ports in a storm. And as we look at the reaction immediately to what Beijing is tabling here... The search inquiries for VPNs, these uh, virtual uh, private networks that you can use to get round the Great Wall of China, for example, those searches uh, were up over a a thousand times um, last week. We also saw the term emigration or immigration to other countries up over a hundred percent. So There are reasons to be concerned about the structural impact on the economy of Hong Kong over the medium to longer term here, but it does seem at the moment, Karen, as though investors are taking a very much wait-and-see approach to how this boils down. And of course, we mustn't forget that Hong Kong is a jewel in the crown for Beijing. What, over 90 major corporates headquartered in the territory. And still, in spite of all the progress we've seen in Shanghai and other major Chinese cities, Hong Kong remains a critical trading hub for China and in Asia, Karen.
1: Yeah, I take your point on that but what has been flagged up to us is that you've now got a national issue that the issues that have been playing out in Hong Kong are impacting China overall it's not just uh, the territory where it's been isolated there are the protests taking place that it's having a spillover effect and I wonder whether China would be willing to sacrifice that jewel in the crown as you describe it to, to allow other financial hubs across China to, to show their might at this point and to allow more trading to take place elsewhere away from Hong Kong. We've already seen is what Shanghai or Hong Kong Connect programs take place. Do you think there is a mission at play, a larger idea or strategy to undermine Hong Kong and move some of that business elsewhere across China?
0: No, I don't believe that. Um, You've seen the Greater Bay concept, uh, which in a sense was designed to bring what Hong Kong delivers, which is capital, into a a greater technology area in the region that would focus around Shenzhen, uh, Guangzhou, and of course, Macau. And the idea is that this becomes a bit like the valley in the United States. So the trouble with centrally planned economies is you kind of get this statist monolithic thinking about how different parts of the country or different cities should play different roles. But I don't think that undermines the reality that Hong Kong is still critically important as a source of capital, liquidity flow in and out of the Chinese economy, and as an important trading center. And I think it, it, it will remain that the Concern, of course, is that uh, these uh, overarching security regulations and the iron fist of Beijing, if it should come, should in in some way damage uh, business interests in the territory and affect the way that business is done in Hong Kong. But, uh, But I suspect that China will only push it so far. I mean, we have to wait and watch, of course, and no one can predict for certain. But when you look at the relationship between the United States and China and all the noise and all the threats, I have to say, um, where is the sanction over currency manipulation? Uh, Where are the significantly uh, uh, more draconian sanctions on Chinese officials? Where is the move to prevent Chinese students traveling to the United States? There's a lot of talk about all of these things, but I have to say we're a long way yet from any of these things actually being put in place, it seems to me, Karen.
1: Jeff, and of course, another major crisis to get through, COVID-19, as we see economic fortunes damage. Nobody uh, potentially wants to ratchet up tensions between Beijing and Washington at this stage. Well, the White House, in other news, the White House announced new temporary travel restrictions on Brazil. The ban, which will come into force today, is aimed at limiting the spread of coronavirus. This after Brazil became the second worst affected country in the world with over 340,000 cases. President Trump's national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, said the temporary measures were needed to protect American people. The travel restrictions will not apply to trade. Coming up on this show, where a bailout deal sends Lufthansa shares sky high, but what strings are attached? We'll bring you the details next.
0: If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast.
1: vaccine news Novavax has started phase one of human clinical trials for its coronavirus vaccine candidate. The Maryland-based biotech company said it expects preliminary results in July that will indicate if the vaccine produces an immune response in humans. The WHO has temporarily stopped trials of hydroxychloroquine while it carries out a safety review. The decision comes after a study published last week in medical journal The Lancet uh, suggested the use of the malaria drug on COVID-19 patients actually increased the risk of death in hospitals and could also lead to further heart problems. President Trump previously touted the use of the drug, saying he was taking it uh, to prevent infection, ignoring medical and public health advice against self-medication. U.S. biotech firm Regeneron will repurchase $5 billion of its own shares directly from its partner Sanofi. The French pharma group CEO Paul Hudson said the new capital would help drive its own innovation and growth, but a strategic partnership would still continue after the sale. Both companies are working together on the potential COVID-19 treatment called Kevzara. Lufthansa shares closed sharply higher after the airline agreed a 9.8 billion euro bailout deal with the German government. Uh, Let's get out to Annette for more. Annette, this was quite a complex deal, particularly around the the silent participation.
5: Yeah, indeed, it looks very complex, but it is modelled in a way that it's not... Um, I think meant for the long term, it's meant for roughly three years. And the German government, um, especially the finance minister, is reiterating that they're even hoping to sell their stake finally at the end of uh, their um, participation with a small um, profit. So I run you through the details. There is a silent participation of roughly 5.7 billion euro in non-voting capital, and this has also coupons, so Lufthansa has to pay interest for that silent participation of 4% in 2020 and 2021, and that goes up to um, 9.7% if they don't make to repay it by 2027, so there's quite an incentive actually to uh, get the state out of the business once again, but I guess that's also in the interest of Lufthansa. Their current CEO did not want to have too much state involvement in the company, of course, and Now that's what he got, at least for the next um, two years, where the government is promising not to exercise their voting rights in a shareholder meeting. So uh, essentially, we got the big rescue package now from the German side, but now it sits with Brussels. And here comes the problem. Uh, Apparently, Angela Merkel was quoted as saying that She does not want those stringent conditions. The European Commission, especially the competition um, commissioner, Estegar, wants to impose on Lufthansa, and she's fighting hard against Brussels. Because what Brussels Brussels wants is that Lufthansa gives up quite a number of slots at big destinations like Munich and Frankfurt. And Angela Merkel was quoted as saying that she is not going to... um, yeah support that request and she will fight hard against it because there's a clear um yeah again a very european story there's a clear concern that this could actually be beneficial for other carriers like Air France, um, who could then jump into the void Lufthansa has to give up. So for now, what happens next is that the shareholders now have two days only. Um, I was waiting to actually say yes to that deal because clearly it is diluting as well. Their existing share base, because the shares that the government is buying, they are buying at only €2.75 or 56 a piece um, which is of course well below current market value and then also the European Commission has to say yes. The German economy minister stepped out yesterday night saying that he's very much convinced that they're going to get the green light from the Commission but well we have seen a lot of these stories but I guess Germany will push hard but in the end Lufthansa most likely will have to get up, give up some slots. Back to you. Uh,
1: Neto, it looks like a good deal for the government. And I want to get onto that coupon, because if you look at the 10-year German Bund uh, yielding minus 0.5%, you've got this coupon uh, around the sign of participation that escalates from 4% in the near term for 2020 2021, right up to 9.5% uh, in less than 10 years. It is a very strong yield, isn't it, given where Bunds are, are tracking at this stage?
5: Yes, it's a very strong yield, but probably if you compare it to what you have to pay um, as a mid-sized company on the market currently, because there's a high risk involved as well, then you could probably argue, that's fair. But still, also the KFW-backed loan, those loans, they don't come for free. They must they come for between 2 and 3% as well currently for companies who are bad, worst hit from the coronavirus crisis. So I guess that's the interest rate environment we are currently having here in in germany for uh, companies who need rescue loans and also the big companies they are not getting money for free so that could actually be a hard, uh, as well a headache to uh, the the ecb in the end because we are seeing financing conditions to tighten actually in germany not only like for the rescue loans but i'm hearing that from bankers all over the place that they are not get, yeah they they are charging higher interest rates now In the crisis than before, despite the ultra loose monetary policy stance.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com
1: or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.